God's interested in reviving, bringing back to life, bringing back to usefulness. And you know what? Bringing it back in the joy of the Lord. You know what the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is something that gets within you. You throw your shoes off. You throw your hands up. And you're all alone in your living room. So do anything you want. A wiggle and a waggle and a two, four, six. Get going. God will accept it. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. It's where there's no show involved. Where no one's looking at me or watching me. Or where I'm not copying somebody somebody else is doing. It's just there in the loneliness of my room. Getting excited with God. Telling him I love him and almost hearing the echo. I love you too. And then so humbled by the echo. So humbled by the thought. So humbled by his intervention in your life. I said God loves to dwell among the humble and the contrite. I said why? Because he wants to revive us. Now here's another why. Because the Bible says he is always. You see that's another hard word for me. That's another hard word for me. Always. He is always. Would you say that word for me? Come on. Say it again. Oh, once more. That's it. Always. The Bible says he's always mindful of us. You see, that's more than my attitude toward God. I can go a half a day cooking, cleaning, washing, running, jumping. And all of a sudden about noontime, I say, whoa, I haven't had a quiet time. I haven't had bread. I, I wasn't really mindful. I, I was forgetful. But that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not God's dealing. Mindful. Never to leave his mind. Never to leave his thoughts. You say, Sister Amy, that's a little heavy. I don't really believe it. Well, go home and read Psalm 139. And if you don't believe it, read it five times. Because for unbelievers, they just need a, a little shake-up. And if you want to read it like you've never read it before, read it in the Living Bible. Then you'll understand he is, his face is continually towards us. And I love that because he's always mindful of us. Then I'm going to tell you something you might not know, and it's important that you know it today. You are, I am his prize. Ay, 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 like he got a booby, booby prize, right? Ay, ay, ay. I'm your prize, Lord. Woo. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I am embarrassed. Because if I'm God's prize, I ought to look like a prize. I look like a triple prize. Are you understanding me? In our hearts, in our minds, and in our thoughts. He's always, and I'm not putting myself down, I'm telling the truth. If I was as mindful of God as he is of me, I'd look different, I'd act different, I'd walk different, and I'd talk different. But I'm not that mindful. But glory to God that he is. When I don't think of him, he's thinking of me. When I don't call on him, he's thinking of me. When I do my own thing, when I step out on a limb all by myself and make a fool of myself, he's still thinking of me. You see, this is very moving because we don't even like ourselves that much to think continuously. 
But that's what he does. Let me tell you something else. Not only are you his prize, you are his love. You ever think of it that way? You're his bride. There's nothing more important on the mind of the bridegroom than the bride. That's it. Remember those days before you got married? You think of no one but him. No one but her. And when that pretty girl walked down the aisle, you never saw anything so gorgeous in all of your life. Blind a little, but who cares? <laughs> he became Adonis, Don Juan. I mean, he became the statue of David. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? Now God says, you're my love. Oh, folks, if we could get a hold of that, we'd never be the same again. And I'm not making this up, for God so loved the world. For God's love is, has no end. And when you define love, the Bible doesn't define it any other way. God is love. That's the, devi- that's the definition of love. And now let me get romantic and let me get dreamy on you. You're God's dream. Oh, Sister Amy, come on, that's kind of corny. That's really corny. God's dreaming about me. And he's having a nightmare. (laughs) No, he is dreaming about you. Yes, he is. You know why? Now I'm going to get a little choked up, but that's okay. You can take me. He's dreaming about you. Because when he created man, when he created Adam and Eve, the finest and the highest moment of his creation was the fact that they would worship him in spirit and in truth by choice. By choice. This is what he longed for from Adam and Eve. But being God, they knew. And so God had a plan of redemption. We're the consummation of the redemption plan. Think of it. We are going to be that Adam and Eve. We're going to be the people that he dreamed of having when he thought of creation in terms of man and woman. We will be the worshipers by choice, and we are. Everyone seated in this church this morning, you're here by choice. And if someone pushed you in, just change your mind now and it'll be all right. (laughs) We're here by choice. And that's why. Now, can you understand why God deals with the humble and the contrite? Because he has, he has, he made a prize. He has a love and he's got a dream. And he's going to see it come to fruition. Now let me tell you something. In order to be able to connect, that's Jerry Dubois' favorite word. In order to be able to connect with God, okay? Humility is an urgency. Why? Because he dwells with humble and contrite people. He dwells with this type of people. And then I will share with you, what are we talking about? You see, when you talk about humility in terms of earth, in terms of 
here on earth, among people, among men and women, among, uh, among the people you work with. Humility is not a word. Humility is not a word that is desired. Matter of fact, let me tell you this. Humility, first of all, to be humbled, okay, is first of all very devastating. Have you ever been humbled? Has anybody ever put you down, really down? I mean, squashed like a cockroach. I mean, it really didn't, but that's the way you felt. Because that's the feeling. Earthly humility, when you try or when they try to put you down, it's devastating, it's demoralizing, it disintegrates personalities, feelings. Yes, it does. And here's another word. This you can put and think of it very carefully. It's also pulverizing. And you say, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it can pulverize a person. It can, it can turn them into sand. It can turn them into to just earth, dirt. It can. That's why this earth is full of human vegetables. And this earth is full of a lot of animals. And I'm not talking about cats or dogs. I'm talking about people. That's why this city and the world is full of a lot of incoherent people. There are people that live with a rage within. They live with anger. And these run in two different types. Some are suicidal. Want to take their life away. Others are just downright dangerous. They won't take their life away, but they'll take anybody else's life away. Now this is, this is what earthly humiliation does. There are people that can't take it. There are people that can't walk that walk. Now let me talk about godly humiliation, because it says God dwells with the humble. But it's not the humble that are made humble. It's not the humble that people put them down. No, no, no. Godly humility has to do with a brokenness. Now this is only experienced in surrender. In other words, in order to be broken by God, you've got to say, Lord, break me. Okay? God doesn't break anybody that doesn't give him permission to break them. And be ready. For when you say, God, break me and use me, be ready for him to do it. But be on your guard. Okay? Because he does answer. And sometimes his answers are very painful. Breaks us only to return us. Our brokenness before God is only to be returned to the potter's house. Why? Because a broken person can be remade by God. Isn't that beautiful? When the world devastates you, who can put you together? Psychiatrists? Scientists? Hospitals, institutions, asylums. No, sometimes they can't. But listen to this. When he breaks us, when we give him permission to take our life and break it, or when through a circumstance we are broken and surrender to God neath the pain and the load of that circumstance, he remakes us. Why? Because we come to the realization that we are clay. If you think you're anything else, you're just clay. But he's the potter. And that's where my confidence lies. My clay is no good.
But what the potter can do with my clay is absolutely outstanding. And this is what we can see. And when the potter gets a hold of our clay, can I tell you something? There are unseen scars. That's how good he works. Matter of fact, he turns us over and makes us almost perfect. And the beautiful thing about that is that the only ones that know how bad we used to be is you and I. I hear testimonies about people that tell me how they were in the world, what they did out there. And I just listen. And I have to ask God to give me faith to believe. And I'll tell you why, because I can't believe it. They stand before me so clean, so pure, so beautiful, so willing to work, so surrendered, that I can't see where they were, the demons that they say they were. I can't see it. But that's the hand of the potter. Here's a sister Amy. Please help me. Uh, what are the signs of lack of humility? I mentioned a few. I'll mention them now. And then we'll talk about how do we let God make us humble. And it's important. Because you see, he dwells in the humble and contrite heart. You say, well, I think I'm humble. Well, if you have a very high concept of yourself, you're not humble. You say, Sister Amy, but there are certain natural gifts that I have, and there's high self-concept. I, I, I'll talk about that, okay? It, it, it borders on everyone, or at least most people, are a, a person that lacks humility can't be put down, so don't worry about putting them down. They know how to get up, and they know how to... As a matter of fact, if you try, they'll put you down. Okay? Lack of humility puts a person always in charge. But the sad thing is they have no command. They're not in charge of anything, but they're always in charge. Oh, you know these people, don't you? And if the curtain is opening, let it open. Lack of humility is a very reactionary spirit. Have you ever told somebody something that's happening to you and immediately they've got a solution? Well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. No. I've given you the solution for moments of reaction. I've given it to you and I'll give it to you again. When you have a reactionary moment, when you've got to tell somebody off, write it in a letter and spew all your venom in the letter. But don't mail it or touch it for three days. Then pull it out of your desk three days later. Make sure no one sees it. Reread it. If you can mail it. If you can mail it. You got to think it through. But most of the time you won't be able to. Because the balance is that what we do on a reactionary spirit is never what we would do under normal circumstances. A person that isn't humble is like an accident waiting to happen. When I heard that first time, I laughed my head off because I'd never heard it before. We don't have such a word in Spanish. Oh, an accident waiting to happen. Now, what are the blessings of humility? In other words, why is it worth Letting this virtue, I'll tell you how it comes, folks. It comes from studying the life of Jesus. 
It comes from surrendering to him. It comes from telling him on a daily basis and continuously that you love him. You say, Sister Amy, is that normal in the spiritual life? I mean, I've got my books and I've got my reading material, but to say that on a continuous basis, I tell Jesus I love him. Well, well, listen, use all your books, use all your little meditation, but on a continuous basis, keep it rolling. I love you, Jesus. I, but, but you know, that sounds a little, uh, uh, that sounds depressing to me because it sounds like, like I'm sort of trying to tell myself something. Oh, really? Well, that's it. You are. Oh, but Sister Amy, it sounds almost like a, a brainwashing mechanism. I don't think I want to get involved in a brainwashing mechanism. You better. Because your brain's got enough garbage that it could use a brainwashing. Isn't it the truth? Yeah, come on, come on, give me an applause. Oh yeah, you got scared on that one, right? Whoa! I'm talking about myself too. Just think of the time you put before a television tube. And I'm not knocking the television. You know me. Think of the hours you give to that boob tube. And you tell me you can't say, I love you, Jesus. 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 Let me show you the blessings of humility. Proverbs eleven 12. I'll give you the scriptures. And you can buy the tape, you'll have them all. The scripture says in Proverbs 11.2, With humility comes wisdom. Hallelujah. With humility comes wisdom. You know what it says in verse uh, Proverbs 15.33? With humility come, comes before honor. You know how pride comes before the fall? Well, humility comes before honor comes before honor. Proverbs 18, 12. Pride brings downfall. Humility comes before the honor. Before honor. It's a repeat and it's true. Proverbs 22. Humility and the fear of the Lord. Put that together. A humble and contrite spirit and the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. It brings, anybody in the, in the market for it? Wealth. Honor and life. I'm buying. I'm buying. I like that. See, you liked it, right? You see, this is the prosperity I believe in. Pay your tithes and the windows of heaven will open. Be humble and you'll be showered with wealth, honor and life. And all of this within the will of God. Within the will of how much you can take. That's it. When you know your weakness... You can negotiate with God. Maybe about seven or eight years ago, maybe a little bit more, I realized that when things were prosperous for me, when things were going well, when I had a couple of extra bucks, I always found time to go to the mall. Anybody like the mall? Ladies like malls? Well, you men like other things, and it's all right. Baseball games and whatever else. And there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with those things, folks. I'm not saying, but I'm saying how easy it is to get lax when things are going well. And I made a deal. No, God made a deal with me. If you live one day at a time, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches in glory. 
And I says, okay, Lord, now you know rent goes 30 days ahead, so you, you take care of that. I'll go one day at a time. Never had more. Never walked more freely. Never. I stand before you a millionaire without a bank book. I stand before you a woman that has it all, yet I can't put it on a sheet because it wouldn't add up to much. But I know what I have. I'm rich. Matter of fact, excuse me, I'm filthy rich. Okay? And you say, oh, sister, that's a sublimation. Nah. Yeah, because I tell people that the heavens are mine and the sun is mine and the stars are mine and the Milky Way is mine. And I tell people that Niagara Falls is mine and Central Park is mine and everything I see and everything I can reach out and everything I can touch is mine. It is. Because if it belongs to my father, it belongs to me. Hallelujah. And that's the way I want you to think. First Peter 5, 5 to 7. Chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. It says, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And then I am closing on a very negative note. But it's, it's okay. Legalism. Legalism. Religious legalism. Human legalism. Man's legalism. Is a false humility. It is. Now I'm going to prove that to you because this is important. Colossians, please. 2.16. Colossians 2.16, and we're going to close on this note because I think it's so important for all of us. Colossians, it's uh, right after Philippians, uh, and it says, Colossians 2.16, do we have it? Yep. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. With regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, this is what they had then, or a Sabbath day, these are shadows of the things that were to come. Now we have the reality, however, because it's found in Christ. Do not let anyone, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into a great detail about what he's seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost the connection with the head and from whom, from, uh, from, I'm sorry, he has lost the connection with the head from whom the whole body supports, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Now let's go on. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to per perish with us. Be I'm sorry, these are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Oh, they tell you you'll be holy. An appearance of wisdom and their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, 
but they lack any value in restraining sexual indulgences. Indulgence. What does that mean? I'm going to put it down in my words, okay? All the legalism and all the spirituality that's given off by some people and told by some people, I'll share this with you. It holds no power over our sinful nature. That's why you can see people that are so spiritual. If they're not growing in the Lord enough to let go of all of this nonsense of legalism. If they're not, if they're not strong enough to let go. If they don't surrender to God. Sooner or later, they're going to fall back into sin. Why? Because legalism has no power. It has no strength to keep you. It has no strength to tie you to God. It has no strength to empower you to live for God. And this is in the Bible. I didn't make it up. And that's why sometimes, you know, we have Christians that backslide and smoke, and we have Christians that backslide and drink, and we have Christians that backslide and make babies. It's all a form of backsliding. And these usually are people that have been on a very high and lofty plane, have told us just what to do and how to do it. They've told us what God likes and what God doesn't like. But they never told us that God dwells among the humble and the contrite. They never told us that if we surrender, the heavens will open to us. They never told us that if we would be humble. You say, Sister Amy, what are you saying about humility? What does it mean? It simply means this. A humble heart is one that bows low before God. A humble, a humble person is one that sees himself through the eyes of God. And when you see yourself through the eyes of God, you know you've got a lot of fixing to get done. But that's okay. There's a place called the potter's house. That's the heart of Jesus. And when you go there, he fixes you up good. He transforms and he changes. And God's going to help us. Because sometimes this lack of humility is manifested in the homes. Our ugly words to our loved ones. Ugly words to our children. Our spirit. Sometimes people say, well, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't fall in that category. Because when I get ugly, I don't talk. Oh, God. God wishes he would talk. Have you seen people that don't talk but say more with their sourpusses? With their attitudes and with their, uh? Oh yeah, there are people that, oh, uh, sister, I don't sin because I don't open my mouth. But, and you all of a sudden, you know, you've been pushed into some corner by a very saintly Christian that doesn't talk. Wish she would. <laughs> 